Welcome to the Train Like a Trooper podcast. We have a very exciting podcast for you guys today. We have two of our troopers from our Troop W, which is our Marine Enforcement Division. A lot of you out there might not know that we have troopers that are in charge of patrolling Oklahoma lakes. And we have Trooper Ryan Griffith and Trooper George Hoyle with us today. And we really appreciate we appreciate you guys coming in and talking to us about what you guys do on a daily basis. Thanks for having us. Thank you, sir. So to start off by telling us, uh, Ryan, tell us what lake you patrol. Um, I know you do a lot of boating safety stuff as well. So, t- so tell us what it, what is your job? What do you do? So troopers in the Marine Enforcement Section of the Patrol, we're tasked with providing, uh, providing uh, enforcement and safety on the waterways in the state of Oklahoma. You know, we have a lot of water in Oklahoma, over 200 lakes, private and public. We have a lot of shoreline along those lakes. Actually, if you took the, the uh, east coast of the United States and went from Maine back around to the Gulf of Mexico and followed the shoreline of the ocean, that's about how much shoreline of water we have in the state of Oklahoma. Wow. So there is a huge need for education and enforcement of uh, rules and regulations for the safety of the public in the state of Oklahoma on the waterways. What lake do you normally patrol? I patrol Skytook Lake and Keystone Lake. Um, I also do a lot of safety ed and, and public affairs stuff for the for the Marine Enforcement Section. Okay. George, uh, tell us what lake you patrol. Well, I'm assigned to uh, Lugert Lake, Altus Lake, Altus Lugert Lake, and Tom Steed Lake. Have a district out there. In our district, we have uh, Fort Supply, Canton, Foss, Fort Cobb, Warica, Lugert Lake, and uh, Tom Steed Lake. So tell us what kind of what, you know, we talk about marine enforcement and you guys patrol these lakes. Um, what kind of things are you doing, you know, when you're on the lakes patrolling? Are you pulling boats over? What the Oklahoma Highway Patrol Marine Enforcement Division's goal is, is to provide a safe and secure environment for people to recreate. Very important to spend time with your family and to have fun. But we want to do that in a safe manner. First of all, we uh, do boarding inspections. And a boarding inspection, we uh, check to make sure that your vessel is registered, make sure that your numbers are properly displayed, make sure that you have a life jacket for every person on board. If you have a motor, gasoline motor, a fire extinguisher, a sound making device, or inboard motors, a uh, flame arrester, and then that's just the boat itself. But also, we want to make sure that you're operating it in a safe manner. On the road, we have friction on roadways. You can slam on your brakes. On the water, uh, brakes and roadways, there's no direct path of travel. So we have uh, rules of the road, the right-of-way on the water, which, you know, you have stand-on vessels and give-way vessels. So you have a right-of-way, and we want to avoid collisions. But also we want to avoid uh, collisions with, uh, for instance, uh, one incident that I recall this summer of a young girl being pulled on a tube and the v, the uh, vessel was still in gear and the brother is pulling the uh, seven-year-old child in and she got into the propeller and is very, very uh, unnecessary fatality. We've had... Uh, a woman that ran over her husband with a personal watercraft and fatally killed him. So, you know, we want to avoid that. We want to avoid uh, alcohol on the water. And 
Uh, so we're out there every day uh, to make sure that we have a safe environment for people to recreate. Okay, so you're out there every day. Obviously, the busy time of the year for you guys is, what, summer months, Memorial Day to Labor Day? Yes, absolutely. Uh, of course, that's when the warm weather's out and people aren't working as much and kids are out of school, so people take vacations. And, and we have our weekend warriors that come out to the lake every weekend and spend time out on the water. I mean, they invest a lot of money in boats and time and, and opportunities to go camping at our, our many area lakes in the state that are open to the public. So, yeah, obviously, um, you know, during the summertime, that is more of the time that we see more people on the water. But that's not to say that we don't see people on the water in the winter. We do have a huge sporting, outdoor sporting and hunting population in the state of Oklahoma. We have people that use the lakes all winter long for fishing, for hunting deer, for hunting waterfowl. So we are out there all times, 24-7, 365, just about on the waterways or around the waterways in case we're needed for search and rescue missions or for drownings or for uh, just to just to stop stop with an area boat boater and say hey how you doing I mean we need to check your boat out and make sure you're going to be safe before you get out there today. Sarah, one one addition to that is this year was a very new, unique year when it comes to uh, population of lakes. Everyone went and got a motor home, a travel trailer, and so when COVID hit, it seemed like that a lot of people instead of going on vacations. Couldn't fly. A lot of them didn't want to drive. Get too far away from home. They all went and bought a boat. So we had a lot of new boat owners and a lot of new campers. So our season started early, about spring break, and uh, never stopped. So a lot more population at our lakes this last summer. Yeah, we were looking at some of the numbers. and We're recording this in, in early December. So far this year, 37 drownings. That's up 68% from last year. Um, 60 total boating crashes. That's up 140% from last year. That's crazy. Is that just a result of more people being on the water? It is. And last year, we didn't have favorable boating conditions in the state of Oklahoma. So you're looking at a comparison between one year versus another year. And in Oklahoma, we all know if you don't like the weather, hey, just wait two or three days. It's going to drastically change. Well, um, it did that between last year and this year. Last year, we had a lot of water, we had a lot of flooding, and we had a lot of uh, uh, not, not, not pristine, opportune uh, weather and conditions for people to get out on the lakes. Um, this year, with COVID-19 hitting the pandemic and everyone self-quarantining and, and people not working because their employers were shut down, they went to the lake. And the weather was very, very nice this year um, for, for uh, recreating out on, on Oklahoma's waterways. And talking about patrolling the lakes, I mean, you guys have the ability to, you can arrest somebody on the lakes, just like a trooper could on the roadway. Absolutely. The only difference between us and the troopers on the road is is uh, we have additional duties that we work on the water, and that's our main duty. But we've all, all, all the troopers in, in the Marine Enforcement section, uh, we worked the road before we came to this section, special service section of the patrol. And so we kind of we kind of take a lot of pride in that opportunity that we get to serve in this way. Yeah, tell, tell me why you guys wanted to be a part of Troop W, why you wanted to do Marine Enforcement. Well, all of my life, I actually probably had a, a lot of water experience, lifeguarded uh, water safety instructor, so probably trained about 300 uh, lifeguards. I uh, was a open water diver, served on the Oklahoma Highway Patrol dive team for four and a half years. So it was just kind of a natural thing. And then also, when you see some of the 
when you see a tragic event, you know, uh, it makes you want to make sure that doesn't happen again and make sure people are safe. Ryan, why do you want to be part of Troop W? Well, I've kind of got a unique story. Um, I was a game warden for the Department of Wildlife for almost five years before I became a trooper. And uh, that was when, prior to 19, a lot of people don't know this, prior to 1998, there were three different uh, law enforcement agencies underneath the umbrella of the Department of Public Safety. There was the Highway Patrol, there was the Lake Patrol, and there was the Capitol Patrol. In 1998, there was a push to consolidate those other two law enforcement uh, subdivisions of the patrol of the Department of Public Safety into one. So they did. They moved the Lake Patrol and the Capitol Patrol divisions into the Oklahoma Highway Patrol and made those into special service sections. So um, the uh, ad administration that was in the process of, uh, of, of getting getting the transitions taken care of started looking for troopers in the field to uh, to bring into those different sections. Um, mine was kind of unique. I was recruited into the uh, into the Marine Enforcement. Back then, it was Lake Patrol Division um, uh, by the troop commander. And uh, um, after about a year and a half of, of thinking about it and and, and uh, mulling over it, and uh, you know, and his his push was, "Hey, you're a game warden before. You know all. You know the water. You know how to deal with people and this and that." And and I appreciated that, but. You know, to be recruited was kind of a unique situation for me. It's not like that for everybody. But they were trying to get people to come into this section of the patrol to help mold the Marine Enforcement section into what it is today. Um, so that was kind of my backstory on how I got in. Um, and I, I put a letter in, had to wait for another patrol school to find a replacement for me on the road. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to uh, get to come to this section of the patrol in, two, in the fall of 2003. And I have been uh, boots on the boots on the water, I guess you could say, ever since, just uh, trying to do my part to make it a safer place for people. And I've teased some of you uh, guys and gals in Troop W before. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is your like, I'll go out on the boat with you and do something I'm like this is your job. You get to be on the boat all day. Now, I know you work very hard, but do people give you a hard time sometimes like, oh, what, your job is just to be at the lake all day? What? Yeah, a lot of people don't understand <laughs> that it's it's long grueling hours. Yes. It's hot. And especially, you know, we get a call of a fatality, you know, a drowning. It could be a uh, long, uh, long several days. Right. And you don't get any, you don't have your weekends pretty much in the summertime, do you? I work every weekend. Every weekend. Yeah, we, we, we miss out on the, the three summer holidays. We're out there working, uh, working the waters uh, in, in, on and around the waters uh, during those, on those three holidays, Memorial Day, 4th of July and Labor Day weekends. But um yeah, road guys, they're always uh, they're always <laughs> giving us heck about how we got such a great job. You're out there on the lake all day. And and uh, this, those conversations kind of cease when I remind them that we don't have an air conditioner. <laughs> I've been out there when it was snowing. I've been out there on lakes where you were busting ice to get through to somebody. And I've also been out there when it was 118 degrees and you didn't dare touch the side of the boat because it was too hot. <laughs> Bet you invest in a lot of sunscreen. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Now it's time for the Highway Safety Update, brought to you by the Oklahoma Highway Safety Office. Unrestrained fatalities are on the rise in Oklahoma. In 2018, 49% of people killed in passenger vehicles and pickup trucks were unrestrained. In 2019, that number rose to 51.1%. 
Of the 208 people killed who were unrestrained, 70 were in pickup trucks, 64 were in four-door passenger vehicles, and 52 were in SUVs. Unrestrained fatalities happen year-round and throughout the day. The most likely time of day for an unrestrained fatality in 2019 was between 1 to 2 a.m. and 3 to 4 p.m. None of these crashes were accidents. All of them could have been prevented. We ask that you do your part. Slow down, buckle up, put your phone down. Always drive sober and drive safe. Live up to the Oklahoma standard. And now, back to the podcast. So Troop W was actually honored with a unit citation award for 2019. We just recently gave out these awards because of COVID-19. We were delayed in, in recognizing our award winners from 2019. But this was for your service and efforts during the flooding events of, of May last year. And we talked about how there was a lot more water, you know, a lot more rain last year. And that historic flooding began on May 21st. And um, you guys were, man, I think I said what you logged more than 2,200 hours of total work time during this flooding event. Tell us what, what that was like. What, what were you guys doing during this, during all that flooding that was going on? It was statewide. It right. wasn't It wasn't just a, a, a geographical area that was hit by the floods. And, uh, you know, not only were we dealing with things on the water, but we're also dealing with the motoring public driving through it. I think last year we probably definitely had more people swept away um, driving across um, low-lying, low-water crossings or areas of the roadways that were flooded. And as a result, they ended up getting out of the vehicle and getting swept away downstream. As a matter of fact, we had one just a couple weeks ago um, on the eastern half of the state during that little storm we had come through. And uh, so it's it's it was definitely it had an increase of those types of things. Um, a lot of the things that we were tasked to do was monitor uh, monitor areas that were that were flooded. Um, we still had our still had to watch the lakes. Um, we had a lot of areas that uh, troopers in the reinforcement section were working with the Corps of Engineers on the public access points mm-hmm. as to okay this this is this is too too dangerous. We need to shut this down and make those suggestions statewide. Um, we had uh, uh, we had a lot of situations with the Arkansas River system. Um, it flooded uh, exponentially, and we were called to uh, deal with uh, some some pretty pretty major pretty major incidences up and down that river system, with uh, some of the barges and and the tran the, and the the uh, transportation of things, the big boats and things that goes up and down that that river system. So, we were we were uh, tasked with monitoring and. Uh, uh, supplying uh, security and as well as um, safety for those op- boat operators that were out there trying to manage the, the barges that had gotten loose. And the two that we saw, two or three that we saw on the news weren't the only ones that uh, that were loose. They were just the ones that got most of the media pressure because they were hung up in the Weber's fall down. Right. But, uh, um, you know, there were many more that we were tasked with, with doing dealing with. Um, we were able to utilize drones to get to a lot of areas uh, visually that we couldn't access any other way uh, because of the floods and we didn't know what was out there. Um, and, uh, but also in, in a lot of the, the uh, metro areas, they flooded. So we were tasked with uh, supplying search and rescue for people whose houses were flooded or their ingress and egress to those residences. They couldn't get out because their cars were underwater. And uh, so luckily we, we were fortunate enough to have a lot of uh, good, good equipment 
at this time, and we were able to utilize a lot of that equipment, airboats, as well as jet drive, uh, jet jet power, jet drive powered vessels that uh, don't have propellers that hang down below the boat and will hang on somebody's uh, uh, chain link fence across their front yard mm-hmm. as we go across to rescue them off of their front porch or out of a window. We even had some had to come out of uh, probably had a second story windows. Second story windows, yeah, yeah. I know there's some pictures of some troopers that were rescuing people out of second story windows uh, wow. because they were flooded. We, we had a incident, I guess, down at Altus Lugert, uh, you know, working pretty closely with the Bureau of Reclamation, uh, the engineers that decide, you know, you can only hold the water back before you open your gates all the way up. I mean, you're, we had enough water that we're, if we, I say we, the engineers that, with the Bureau of Reclamation, if we didn't open up the floodgates all the way, then you're going to flood a community back upstream. If you open them up all the way, you're going to flood the community downstream. So very, very meticulous by the hour of measuring the water, the release and retention of the water. So it's more than that. That flooding event down there was uh, a once in a 20 year type deal. And it took a lot of manpower to monitor all that. Keep in mind that you have the safety of people downstream. So do we go and uh, get all these people out or do we get, you know, dam it up and uh, get people uh, evacuated upstream? So anyway, the end result was uh, with good management, good water management, the minimal amount of property damage occurred and there were houses flood, flooded and everything, but uh, there, were, there was no life loss down there. You guys probably had some long work days yes. during those Yes, or days was... that turned into another day and another day. Yes, fortunately, uh, uh, when when it first started, that's the way it seemed like. But eventually, um, you know, we were able to start uh, making shifts and and having relief and uh, figuring, okay, you're going to be down there on these two days, and then you're going to take a day or two off. And and uh, we were able to uh, on certain certain uh, certain things that came about that were were long term. Um, because of the flooding, but but yeah, there were some long days, and it, it's not uncommon for us to have long days. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for us to get calls at night and be out all night searching for someone who had a boating accident, or is unaccountable, or we can't find them, or the family doesn't know what happened to them. And it's not uncommon for troopers in the Marine Enforcement Section and and the guys that work the road. I mean, all of us troopers uh, to be out all hours of the night when everybody's sleeping, trying to find someone's loved one, or try to figure out what happened with something. Tell us, talk to us a little bit about the equipment that you guys use or the, you know, maybe for the boaters out there. A lot of people sometimes, I'm sure you get that question asked, well, what kind of, what kind of boat are you on? What kind of boats do you guys use? As patrol boat goes, uh, most everybody has a Boston Whaler with a 300 Mercury Verada. Uh, those are the vessels that we patrol our large lakes. Uh, we have recovery boats and most of those are, you know, like a, 16, 17 foot Waco with 25 horsepower motor. We have some airboats. We have an SJX, which is uh, used for uh, recovery, but also uh, probably one of the most important pieces of equipment that we've acquired, and it's been several years now, but uh, we have a Humminbird uh, side scan sonar, and that's how we uh, search for drowned victims. We can find uh, Vessels, sunk, sunken vessels, cars, a uh, number of things in the water. So 
hiding stuff in the water is uh, probably long gone. We actually have found weapons, uh, you know, weapons that are involved in crimes and uh, a number of things under the water that's no longer able to hide. We were talking about that, about finding cars, that side sonar in the water that sometimes, sometimes legitimately is an accident or a stolen vehicle or sometimes their insurance matters too. Yeah, we found one of those this summer at Tomsky Lake of a vehicle that was uh, there at the boat ramp and uh, wasn't looking for it and is just accidentally uh, turned looking. There it is in the screen. And thought, hmm, that's a car. And we got the dive team out there and recovered the vehicle. You know, you'd think that, you know, when we come out with this type of technology, I say we, when companies came out with this type of technology, Lowrance, Hummingbird, and some of the other companies, um, uh, that we'd be able to go out there and find everything there is to find. But that's not the case. I have, and I'm, I'm sure George has too, but I have, I have used a side scan sonar system unit out of a patrol boat on a ramp at an area lake and felt like, oh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing there. I mean, I found everything. I mean, or, you know, I may find a vehicle and pull it out when we first came out with them and then go back uh, a couple of years later or maybe even maybe even just the next summer, the next spring and search that search that boat ramp again and find a, a vehicle that was there prior to me searching it the time before and we missed it. And, um, you know, so it's not easy seeing things underwater. Like sometimes we make it, we make it sound. It's very, very difficult, but the technology and the equipment that has come out over the past uh, couple of years has really changed the ball game for our ability to not necessarily see what's, what's on the bottom of the lake, but also to see what's not there in areas that we, we don't need to be searching because there isn't anything there. And it doesn't just jump out on our screen and say, Hey, this is a car. This is a body. This is a big catfish. You know, it, it just gives us an, an, a, a shadow of an image, and we have to try to figure it out. And that's where your training comes in. Absolutely. You guys do a lot of training. So this podcast is called Train Like a Trooper, and we're, you know, we talk a lot about the, the training that you guys go through, and, and, and I know it's constant. So tell us, obviously, you're going to have some unique training for Troop W. What, what kinds of training do you guys do on a regular basis? We have in-service training, and usually that's very specific in some uh, specialty training. Uh, Jay Veneta, who uh, in the fishing world, everybody knows him, uh, trained us with some sonar education. But also during our in-service training, uh, we, get a, we get a lot of education in, in that week. But also, if you go out and do something every single day, you're actually training. It's kind of like driving a car. If you drive to work every day and you drive everywhere, you really you're learning driving that vehicle. Same I'm thing a, I'm with a fifteen and a half year old right now. So yes, she's learning. <laughs> yeah. you I'll tell you, your... most of our training is OJT. We get we get, we get we get yeah, it is yeah. because it's an ever changing environment. Um, the weather uh, vessels are mechanical devices and they can fail not only for us but also for the public. Um, so you know it's it's a, it's a it's a every day is a different day on the highway patrol. And, um, you know, it just takes a lot of resilience. And we have a lot of great guys that work for us, work with us in, in the Marine Enforcement section that have, have learned to adapt and learn to, uh, 
to ha learn how to deal with that that ever changing environment and, and structure of the day. And it's it's right. just kind of neat. Are you guys kind of mechanics too? You work on your own boats? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> we do. I mean, I can tell you that I can tell you stories. Um, uh, I can tell you stories all day long about things that have happened to me out on the water over the years. Sometimes you just got to make things work. You doesn't do. matter how it works. You do. <laughs> just make it work. We enjoy doing what we do. Every every day is a different day. Now it's time for our question of the day, brought to you by the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. Okay, Lieutenant Perkins, today's question is, what should people do whenever they see those red and blue lights in their rear view mirror and realize they're being pulled over? Slow down and pull to the right. One of the things that we see so, so like every day is uh, people will slam on their brakes and stop in the middle of the road, or they'll pull to the left. Um, when a trooper hits their lights, they're already they are determining where they want you to pull over. So they are already, they have a predetermined spot there. They are predicting where you were judging by your speed and their speed, where you'll end up on the outside shoulder. We do that on purpose for officer safety and for your safety to make sure you're not pulling over on an overpass or up against a concrete barrier wall or something like that. Um, so slow down and just pull to the right. Uh, I'll just use myself for an example. Before I ever hit, all of my lights to indicate to you that I'm pulling you over, I've hit my back decks, meaning all the traffic behind us knows that something's about to happen. So they have slow, they, they have decreased their speed significantly to allow you to pull over. So it is my job to make sure you make it to the outside shoulder safely. That's my job. Let me do my job. So slow down and Pull to the pull to the right. I don't mean slam on your brakes and slow down to 10 miles an hour. I just mean, hey, if you're if you look down and you're speeding, ah, it's probably why you're getting stopped. Take your foot off the off the gas and just make your way to the outside shoulder. And if you don't feel safe, which that happens, so say it's uh you don't feel safe and you want to pull into a gas station, hit your emergency lights, your flashers, and if you want to exit off and pull into a gas station, I have no problem with that. I know what you're doing at that point. You hit your I know you've you've let me know that hey, you see me and you're gonna, you're gonna pull into a gas station. Uh, we're cool with that. Thanks, Lieutenant Perkins. And now back to the podcast. So I was gonna ask you guys about incidents that, that stood out in your career. And George, we were talking about from, you know, several years back, Foss Lake. Tell, it, tell us about that kind of incident and what, what your involvement was there. Uh, uh, Trooper Sam Shelton. Trooper Woody Perry and myself were out on the uh, out on the lake, and we just gotten a hummingbird, not the current one that we have, but uh, we were in a drought, so uh, not a lot of water and water levels going down. And what year was it? It's 2012, and we got a call from the park manager, and what they were going to do is they were going to lay some tarmac. What tarmac is, you know, the military has it, and we can go out and build a runway in half a day with it. And then what they're going to do is they're going to make a new boat ramp because water level's going down. Very uh, Hardway, who's park manager out there, asked if we could go over and like just take a picture at the end of some slips because the slips that were on the shoreline were becoming more and more on the shoreline. So they were taking them and adding them onto the end of the slip so they get out in the water. And Barry uh, 
we got back with him and uh, one, I think Sam or somebody advised him that the trash that was in the lake right there would be very difficult to lay some tarmac, their tires, and I think they left part of their slip there too. So he wanted to know if we could go over by the boat ramp and take a picture. And we went over there and there were two cars and come to find out, uh, you know, thought probably just an insurance job, stolen car or something like that. Got a hold of uh, uh, the dive team, uh, Jeremy Allred, uh, who's a letter mate of mine. I served on the dive team with him uh, a few years. Got a hold of him and he and Daryl Splon uh, came out and hooked onto the vehicles. And when we raised them, started seeing, uh, you know, like a femur with phalanges and a sock and a shoe and thinking, oh, it's going to be a long day. I thought we were just going to go out there and hook onto some stolen cars and, you know, most, most every trooper's thinking, okay, well, we'll get this job done. We'll go have lunch. But, uh, the way it turned out, it was an all day event and, uh, we saw six missing persons cold cases and gave uh, closure to, uh, a number of families. And if there's ever any satisfaction in this job, there was one event that, you know, to give, a family, the ability to have a funeral is a huge, huge deal to a family that is experiencing mental anguish for 43 years. So, uh, very fortunate that we had the opportunity to do that. Very thankful. That's awesome. And I know you go and do presentations on that. There's way, way, way more to that story. We don't have time to get in here today. We can maybe do an entire podcast just on that one. We'll have to have you back. We can turn that into a four-hour deal. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Ryan, do you have any incidents that kind of stand out in your mind? From You know, I think uh, as as law enforcement officers serving the state of Oklahoma, um, you know, I've reflected upon this a time or two. And I think, you know, what we don't all get to get to experience, but what we all uh, strive for is to see something that we do come full circle. And that's had the opportunity to come to me before. And one of them that come to mind when George was talking about these families getting the opportunity to have some closure to what happened to their loved ones with that incident that he was involved in. Um, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Um, um, I was uh, working the lake. And one day, and this uh, boat operator was was breaking the no wake zone by a marina. And so I was, uh, so I turned the red lights on him on my boat. I go over there to talk to him. He didn't see me. I was hiding. And uh, yeah, I would do that. So uh, um, confirm people's suspicions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't don't doubt for a second that when you don't see us, we can't see you because we can. But um, by air, by land, and by sea, he's, he's sneaky. Yes, but um, I pull this guy over, and I do. An, I'm doing a boating, boating inspection on his boat. You know, I'm telling him, "Hey, you know, why are you driving so fast for? I'm trying to get back over to the shoreline over." And I'm like, "Well, this is a no wake zone. You need to slow down." And and uh, you know, I get his information from him, and we start the boarding inspection process. And as we're doing it, um, there's a uh, there's a small life jacket in there for an infant. Well, it's not really an infant. Yeah, it's an infant life jacket now. And, uh, but I thought, so I said, well, that one's a little bit too small. It's not going to fit you. And he goes, he goes, yeah, he goes, he goes, that, that used to fit somebody else. And I was like, oh, 
well, okay, so uh, must be some backstory to it. He goes, yeah, there's a story to it. He says, you know, I was on another lake about, um, it was about, seven, about eight or nine years earlier. And he said, uh, he said, I got stopped by a trooper on that lake, and it was a different lake than we were on. And I kept looking at this guy thinking, man, he looks familiar to me. I've seen him before. I don't know why. but um, um, And he's talking about this uh, this incident that he had with another trooper and how he stopped. And there was he had a daughter, and she was, she was uh, not even two years old yet. And he had bought a, a life jacket from uh, what he thought was a life jacket from Walmart or someplace. Um, and this, this trooper very sternly informed him that that is not a U.S. Coast Guard approved life jacket. And if you value the life of your daughter, you will buy her a new one because that one is not going to save her life. And he explained how um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the proper life jacket for her. It was a flotation device, but it was a cheaper version of something that's not U.S. Coast Guard approved for an infant. And he's telling me this story about how this trooper told him how it, his daughter would turn upside down and all this and that. And, and uh, as he's telling this story, I'm thinking, I'm adding to a story as he's telling this, and I'm not realizing that I'm remembering it was me that had this situation with him, that had this, this contact with him. And I start recollecting more. And I go, so that on Sky Took Lake? And he goes, yeah, that was on Sky Took Lake. And we weren't on Sky, we were on Keystone Lake at the time. And I go, uh, um, yeah, so, uh, and then he goes to tell me about how he went right out the next day. He got a ticket for not, for not having proper life jacket for his daughter. And uh, um, I actually gave him a life jacket for her that I had in my vessel. And uh, he was actually able to put it on her, and then he returned it by leaving it at a, a said location that we prearranged so I could use it for somebody else later. And he went and got her the proper life jacket. Um, and then he told me a story about how the next, the next uh, week he went out after he got that life jacket, and he was fishing with his daughter on a river. And she was sitting on the front of the boat, and he was sitting on the back of the boat, and she was playing with some things up there while he was fishing. Less than two-year-old baby. I thought it was kind of cool. He took his daughter fishing with him even that early on. But she had her properly, uh, proper life jacket on at this time. And he said, I looked down to grab a pair of tweezers because I was tying a, 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 a weight on a, on a fishing line. And I heard something go kaplop. And I look up and my daughter's gone. And he said, I look over the side of the boat and my daughter's floating down and giggling at me. And I reach down and I grab the handle that's on the piece of the life jacket that goes around the back of her neck, which was the one that that trooper told me to get her. And I was able to grab her and pull her up out of the water and put her back in the boat. He said, it scared me to death. And he said, um, he said, if that trooper wouldn't wrote me that ticket, I would not have got the right life jacket. And I probably wouldn't have my daughter. And about that time we had drifted up there and I'd already, I'd already said, I, th I, th I think that was me that wrote you that ticket. And he was like, you look like the guy that wrote me that <laughs> ticket and you talk to me like the guy that wrote me that ticket. And I'm pretty sure you probably are the guy that wrote me that ticket. And he goes, hey, he goes, I just want to thank you. And we had drifted uh, through the, the no wake zone area by a camping area. And he said, I want you to look up there, Trooper. You see that young lady on the end of that, uh, that uh, uh, picnic table there? And I was like, Oh, yeah, I see a young lady sitting there. She's about 11 years old. And he goes, that's my daughter. He said, I'm not so sure she'd be there if we didn't have that. We didn't have that talk that day. 
And just to have that come full circle and have the opportunity to uh, bear witness to that and have that experience is, um, I think, what a lot of people in life, especially in law enforcement, hope to have. And and I, I know that I got to have that not only that once, but several times and other things. And I can only hope that uh, that my partners uh, that are out there working the water um, and the road, for that matter, um, get that opportunity someday to uh, to see the see that what they're doing makes a difference. And that what they're doing is is uh, is important, and that they are very special people, and those things that they do will come full circle if you just just keep grinding. Well, that's awesome. And we've gotten messages like that before, because a lot of times you guys are encountering people on one of the worst days of their lives, or you they might think you're causing one of the worst days of their lives, but then later on they realize, oh my gosh, that totally set me on a different path, or gave me the right information, or you know something like that. And that's really neat to hear those to hear those stories. Is that is that the best bit of advice that you guys would give? I know for is the life jackets. Is that is that the most simple thing that people can do to I mean, I know there's lots of things to be safe on the water. Is that probably the number one thing or what would you guys say? Well, life jackets are very, very important. I don't think that I've recovered but one person that was dead that was wearing a life jacket and he got ran over. Yeah, you're not gonna drown probably if you have a life jacket on. Uh, and then also personal watercraft, you know, education. Especially yes. when it comes to personal watercraft, probably one of the biggest things. Um, yeah, any boat, but mainly like personal watercraft. A lot of people who are involved in boat collisions are on personal watercraft, and they have. They're usually not the owner. It's probably just someone on the swim beach saying, "Hey, I like to drive that here. Get on it." Well, probably one of the worst incidents I can recall on a personal watercraft. We've had a deal out there at Elk City Lake. It's a municipal lake. And uh, this is a jet drive. So that means when this thing is under power, it is extremely maneuverable. And uh, when it's not under power, it's just going to go the last place you gave it force. We have a state law that between the ages of 12 and 16 years of age, 12, 13, 14, 15 years of age, you have to have a uh, motor safety class to operate personal watercraft just because you have had that class doesn't really mean you truly have experience and knowledge and especially your friends that get on it and so the incident in elk city was a eight-year-old kid obviously too young to be operating a 550 pound piece of equipment that will go 45 miles an hour got on it and then there's another law that you'll learn in that class that you can operate within 50 feet of another ve- another vessel while it's underway, 150 feet from a moored, tied, anchored vessel or a person or a shoreline. So anyway, he was uh, going to go up and spray his mother so he's going to get close to her and then turn. Well, he was full speed with the throttle. He got off of the throttle and started trying to turn it, and it didn't turn and hit her in the chest and killed her. So at eight years old, he's going to have to live with he killed his mother. You know, oh, and that's a uh, very, very, so personal watercraft are one of the uh, yeah. probably main vessels that we, I know I play, pay close attention to. And then also, yeah, life jackets are very important. Education, for yes. sure. And that's uh, one of the things that you do, Ryan. A lot of people know you guys offer free boating safety classes. Yes, we yes. do in person still. Yes. And uh, which is big with COVID going on, but uh 
you know, if I can get a group of people, 10 or more people, they can contact the reinforcement section of the patrol and get them into contact with me. And, hey, we'll set up a, a boater safety course for you in your, your area. Um, I'd like to um, uh, emphasize uh, what George was talking about as far as how important PFD use is. Um, you know, I've worked. Okay, for those who don't know what that means, what's PFD? Personal flotation oh, device. Personal flotation device. You know, I don't even call them life jackets. I did a while ago when I was talking uh, for the. I don't call them life jackets anymore because they're really not designed to uh, save your life. They're designed to keep you floating. And people that drown don't float. And that's the one piece of equipment that you have that we, we don't use like we should. Uh, I'll promise you, you see a state trooper along the shoreline or in a boat they're going to have a life jacket on. They're going to have a personal flotation device on. Why? Because we realize that you have to use it like your seatbelt. It only works if you wear it. And wear it properly. You have to wear it properly. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, Sarah, when you drove here today, what did you wear in your car on the way here? My seatbelt. You wore your seatbelt, right? And why did you wear the seatbelt? It's just habit. And I know it. I know it's. it can save my life. Okay. Did you know that over 80% of the people who die in fatality boating accidents drown? I believe it. Did you know that 90% of those people didn't have a PFD on? It was readily accessible. Could you imagine what it'd be like driving down the road with a, with a readily accessible seatbelt? Wait, wait, driver, semi-truck, don't blow the stop sign. Let me put my, let me put my seatbelt on before we have a crash. No, it just doesn't work that way. Or, oh, Oh, God, please don't let that deer cross the road in front of me in the middle of the night until I put my seatbelt on. It's readily accessible. It's right there. And a lot of people have a readily accessible life jacket or PFD, personal flotation device, but at a moment's notice, they're not good enough. Or they could be like my 15-year-old son who says, no, I know how to swim. I'm not going to drown. I know how to swim. You know, uh, on that topic, I will tell you that most people that drown can swim. I tell him that all the time. Yes, you know, very, 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 very often when we go make the next kin notification to a drowning victim, a lot of those people say, well, I don't know how he could have drowned because he was a very, very good swimmer. So I worked, I worked a drowning this last summer that, of a guy that was actually, it had been a while, but he was a lifeguard. My first one was. But uh, he yeah. took a breath of uh I guess there's a, a condition it's called a pharyngeal spasm. And what it is, is, when you, you know, like a, a lot of times it's a cold immersion, you know, when you immerse in cold water and you go, you gasp. Well, uh, your body protects itself. So what it'll do is your pharynx or larynx, it'll just, the muscles around it, it'll constrict down. You can still breathe, but then you're in water and then you panic and, or you exert energy and you need more more oxygen. It's not an untypical drowning for a lot of people who can swim. And a lot of times the wind affects that for people swimming after a flotation device, which we had a drowning at uh, Fort Cobb this last summer of a guy who was swimming after a child that he turned back around to swim back to the boat. And I believe that's likely what happened to him. And uh, so it is not a very it's very common. Well, guys, I really appreciate your time. I know we could talk for hours and hours about all Troop W stuff. It's just fascinating. But I appreciate you guys coming in and giving us a little insight into your job and what you do for the Highway Patrol. And we really appreciate it. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah.